This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. We are going to have a very practical podcast series called The ABCs of Physical Activity Measurements. The aim of this series is to provide practical information for practitioners and researchers who want to learn more how to measure physical activity in different settings and how this data can be used. And I will be joined by Dr. Miriam Caprita for these discussions. She has done her PhD in biomedical engineering and has worked at Rossing Research and Development Center in Netherlands for eight years, coordinating and managing EU research projects related to e-health. She has also acted as a board member for five years in International Society for the Measurement of Physical Behavior, and currently she is working as Chief Customer Officer at Fibion. Welcome, Miriam, and thanks for joining me for this podcast series. Hi, Oli. Thank you very much for having me here. It's a pleasure. Yes. So if we start with the basics of physical activity measurements and go a little bit different methods that you can use uh, to to assess, maybe more, more assess physical activity, and we start with the questionnaires and self-assessment what kind of types do we do we have i i would dare to say that questionnaires remain the most used um method to to assess uh, physical activity there is a large variety of uh, of questionnaires very specific so if we uh, if we go with uh, a daily like as a as a diary but also in general look back at your last month uh, so I think one of the, the the points that we need to to have into consideration when choosing the questionnaire to use is what is the time frame that we are interested in? Are we interested in knowing the general uh, physical activity in the last month, in the last week, in a day, or even now? Are you moving now? Uh, because and that um, maybe brings me to the the second point is uh, of course. Conventionally, we have the paper-based questionnaires. Um, so participants just get a paper where they can answer um, the questions. But with the mobile technology that we have nowadays, almost everyone has a smartphone or even a smartwatch. You already see very short questions, more experience sampling type. Um, on the on the smartwatches, what are you doing now at this moment? Um, and that's, that is, of course, part of the self-assessment, so self-reported, more, uh, to be more concrete, um, where you can say, okay, I'm moving, or I'm playing sports, or I'm sitting on the couch. Yes, and, and then if we go a little bit for the pros of uh, self-assessment and questionnaires, they can be priced differently, but uh, many of them are cheap, you don't need to buy different hardware you don't need a device and also they are pretty scalable for to do it because people don't need to wear devices you don't need to have 
have devices basically with one one click when you are doing it with the with with technology or you are doing with the uh, online questionnaire with one click you can send it to thousands of people so it's it's not much work in your end also for participants you can have quite a short questionnaire it's not much not not much work and it can be done pretty effectively and yeah there's some good apps available uh, for example we we at Fibion have have a my move app which is for scalable data data collection of of questionnaire and also pro for a questionnaire is that you can get information of context and you can get information of for example emotions which you cannot do with the with the devices so there's there's really advantages and you can also combine it with the devices so then you can get context for example where the person is doing the activity are they doing it with someone are they enjoying are they finding it meaningful so yeah questionnaires can give uh, those additional information and miriam if you go with the cons of questionnaires yeah that's uh, those are very good points and just before going to the cons just to have a, a flag for uh, for our listeners something to to have into consideration i totally agree that uh, often they are cheap the questionnaires are cheap and especially there are I'm, I think I'm just thinking about the IPEC. It's mostly, most likely the most used questionnaire to assess physical activity and it's free to use, it's open. Uh, but always verify the licenses. That's my piece of advice. When you want to use a questionnaire, always uh, verify the copyrights. If, uh, if you can use it, most of the cases for research, you can use it. But if you need to have like a, a statement or, or something, um, just uh, just for the listeners to uh, to consider this uh, this question. Uh, so always verify the copyrights and the licenses of the questionnaires before using them, because it's you don't want to come into problems. And there are some stories of that uh, of then uh, people asking um, for or having problems with using questionnaires. Um, but going to your question, sorry, this was just a, a side note. Um, cons. I think the most well-known or most referred to uh, uh, disadvantage of the questionnaires is the memory bias. So um, uh, when uh, when you look back, especially when the time frame is very long and very far away, uh, people tend to overestimate. Um, and this goes hand in hand with another bias. It's the manage expectations it's like yeah i didn't do anything last week but i sh- i know i should do so let me add it at here half an hour or one hour or oh yeah that that walk that i did for 20 meters maybe it wasn't 20 meters was 500 meters and uh, so just to to um especially uh, what what we see is especially when the questionnaires are answered face to face with maybe a researcher or a care provider that this comes very often so to to go to to fit the expectations and th- there are many studies that uh, uh, that looked at the correlation between the objective measurements that we will talk later and um, and the self reported and the, indeed they don't match very often people overestimate the physical activity when self reported and then, of course, uh, the the patient burden, but this goes hand in hand with the the type of questionnaire and the um, the frequency 
of um, of assessment. Uh, if it's a one-time questionnaire and it's relatively short, uh, okay, uh, people will answer it, but um, you can tell from experience from my PhD uh, that in my first study, and we are talking 10 more years ago, I think, um, I had this self-reported on the smartphone of what are you doing now? Uh, and that was uh, every hour for 30 days. So uh, that's a very uh, burden I compared with, I was also measuring objectively, so I could compare, but it's very high burden, of course. Uh, I'm still thankful to the participants who answered all the questions. So it's, it, we cannot say also that there is no participant burden. It depends on the, um, on the questionnaire. Yeah, so basically questionnaire would probably work better when you need to have certain time point, but not, not to too much of information otherwise the participant burden gets gets a little bit big and then if we discuss about sensor-based device-based measurements so basically roughly you can divide that you have consumer devices and then you have research-oriented devices and usually people who are not researchers they know well the consumer devices they are they are measuring Nowadays, a lot of different signals, they are telling a lot of different variables. So you can get heart rate, you can get blood pressure, even you can get energy expenditure. It, it can measure many kind of things. But usually in research, those are not used. And there's a clear reasons for that. The accuracy, researchers call it validity, is not very very good with this kind of devices they have been done with the marketing approach the, the companies their incentive is sell them to lot uh, sell sell a lot of them and always get the new feature that the competitors don't have and the accuracy is usually not that important for these incentives so many times consumer devices if you want accurate information they are not probably the best and and some kind of a research oriented device and earlier the research devices tended to be not the easiest to use maybe you have to install a software you can have only one license and and they can be costly but now you have devices which have research device accuracy but are easy to use and provide provide results that are easy to understand so i think for the practitioners listening this podcast, I would probably recommend devices that have a research base but are are created, easy to use, have cloud cloud possibilities, and are are easy to understand the results and create the results automatically. Do you have Miriam any things to add into this device distinction? No, I think to, to the device uh, distinction, not. What, what I could say is also the biggest concern that people often show for, uh, for the consumer devices is the, the black box. So you don't know how the algorithms are done, how the uh, intensity, um, physical activity intensity um, thresholds are. What are the thresholds, basically? So this, this black box approach is, uh, is of course, um, not desirable in research because we want to be as uh, transparent as possible. Um, and in terms of, uh, of the research-oriented, what I think is, is also very important is that 
most of the cases, of course, there is not always, but you have more and more devices that allow it, is to have easy integration with other applications. Because just thinking about intervention studies, for example, people want to sometimes uh, design their own digital health interventions and they want to couple with with sensors and gather the data from sensors and it's not that the commercial devices don't allow it but always requires you to have an account in there she said the data goes yeah the, we don't know or some we know where but sometimes outside europe so in case you are in europe you have some uh, some restrictions and it's some more research-oriented devices are much more open for this integration. I think that's definitely something to consider um, when you are uh, choosing which sensor to use. And, and maybe if I add for the consumer devices, the incentive of companies, it's a little bit same with the questionnaires. People have expectation they want to be active. So if you if you actually, for example, overestimate the energy expenditure in a device, people probably like it more. If you have, you can choose between Apple and Fitbit and Fitbit would be giving really low values for activity and energy expenditure. You would be happier using the Apple, which is giving higher. So there might be some incentive to pump up the numbers, which in research devices are not because researchers are interested in the actual accuracy of the, of the devices. And yeah, I, 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 I have done a validation study of uh, we had like 10 activity trackers on the on the wrist and and basically many of them overestimated uh, energy expenditure of of activity and yeah so that can be can be one one thing to consider and and then if we go for the pros of sensor and device based measurements yes uh, so uh, compared you mean compared to to the questionnaires I think the yeah the the objective that that is ob- that you you are measuring what a person is doing. Although there are stories of people putting their sensors on cats and dogs, or mostly on dogs. So, but let's assume if the sensor is placed uh, well, that uh, uh, that indeed you are measuring the the physical activity. Um, if the sensor is is very easy to use, and let's assume it is, it's you can put it on and you forget you have it as a research participant. Of course, it's, uh, it depends on the battery life, but I think that's, uh, or definitely that's, uh, that's also a, a consideration for how long will your study um, take or for how long will you be measuring. Uh, and if it's a long study, especially yeah, don't choose a sensor that you have to measure every day, you have to charge, sorry, every day. Um, but there are many options, or there are some options that you, that can be uh, used for uh, for long periods of uh, of time without uh, without the charge. Yeah, I, I I can I can maybe maybe add 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 something. So so basically, you get the continuous data twenty four four seven, and and usually with questionnaires, you are only asking about exercise moderate to vigorous intensity activity but but especially with the tie worn device you can get really accurate low intensity activity and it's it's super difficult to estimate because we walk to the fridge we walk back we we go go to toilet we go there we we go and it's it's almost impossible to estimate the low intensity activity and it's basically a cornerstone of our health. We cannot be too much sedentary. So then we get the whole 
continuum of of activities. So that's a clear advantage for uh, sensor-based measurements. And I just thought about something else. That's also the population, because for example, if I want to do measurements with children or with people uh, for some reason, I don't know, cognitive uh, impairments that could not answer um, or not so easily answer questionnaires. Of course, the sensor-based uh, measurement is also a, a good option. And then if we go with the cons of sensors, so basically one thing is the cost. If if you plan to measure a thousand participants, you need quite many devices. Of course, you can rotate them, but there, there will be there will be a cost of, of devices and and participants need to wear, they need to attach the device to themselves so that's that's also also something and even though it's a, quite a small thing but it needs to be attached correctly so it needs to be in the right place in the body it needs to be in a certain orientation and usually it's it's not rocket science but when you have a lot of people and it's not their main thing to get get the measurements done but they have a lot of things in life even an easy thing can be can be challenging and you won't have perfect data data in those those cases and we have now covered the self-assessment and sensors and then there's some some other methods we can go briefly those would you Miriam like to go with those yeah, you have, um, especially for uh, for indoor measurements, a uh, system with uh, beacons that you can place at different, let's say, in, in an office environment that you can place in the office and in the coffee corner and if each person has their individual um, token, I don't think, I think it's token that's called, then when, when you pass in the, in the range, you know, it's okay, you have been here and then you have been in room C, so it means that you had to move um, so you get some, at least in the office environment, if the people, if the person stood up and went to the coffee corner or not. So you get some idea of physical uh, activity. This is also used, um, very used in uh, ambient assisted living. So for, for elderly um, to know if um, people leave their rooms. It's very sad, but it's true uh, sometimes in, a, in the nursing homes or even if it's independent living, but know how much people are moving and then there are but it's completely out of my expertise but i know there is uh, some uh, uh, research more in the in the smart city uh, uh, world so but that's not so much at individual level how much you only move but how much population moves and what type of transportations and uh, uh, use and um, and this type of uh, uh, of systems yeah those can be quite practical for population like for example how much people go with the bike you can have a system which just notice when somebody goes by and it, it counts how many people went went per day and and of course there's for example gps which can track the location of a person outside basically but it doesn't usually work work inside because buildings have a lot of concrete and the signal is bouncing so it might might give wrong wrong numbers so i think this was a good good basic overview so we will finish this episode here and in part two we are then covering what are the basics of physical activity with measurement with devices we didn't go too deep for the details how to how to do it how do the devices work but 
in part two we will do that so thanks miriam for this episode thanks for joining us this week on physical activity researcher podcast if you like the show make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on twitter this podcast is made possible by listeners like you thank you for your support If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.